Hello everyone, this is Pastor Joyce Erickson again with Believer's Bible School, and we are in a verse-by-verse study in the book of 1 John, and we are about to go into chapter 2 today. Okay, now chapter 2 talks about where the Apostle John is addressing the churches in Asia Minor whose maturity is at various levels. But his aim is to awaken the church so that they will desire to develop their faith to a deeper level in knowing God. So then, as such, they are then free to lead a righteous life in God. All right, let's go to verse 1. We will read verses 1 and 2 of 1 John. And uh, let's begin. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not of ours only, but also for the whole world. The Apostle John is addressing his congregations in Asia Minor as a pastor and as an elder over all of them. And he is saying, my little children, and he's pleading with them to avoid sin at all cost. And he begins by giving warnings to the teacher or to the churches saying, we all do sin. In other words, he is saying every one of us sin because we were born with a sin nature. It's inevitable that we will sin, but our efforts, however, need to um, be to avoid sin as much as we are able. We will sin from time to time, and when we do, the Word of God tells us that we have an advocate. Advocate meaning someone to speak on our behalf. We have an advocate to God, the Godhead, our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So as believers in Jesus, we know that it began by believing in, proclaiming Jesus is God, yet he is God's son who paid the price for our sins. God then rose Jesus from the dead, and through our faith in him, he then became our Savior and Lord. And when that happened, we were given the indwelling Holy Spirit so that we could have fellowship with God. Thus began our walk with God. Jesus died not only for you and me as believers, but Jesus did die for the whole world. The world, however, either denies or does not recognize Jesus as the propitiation uh, for our sins, therefore does not and cannot have a relationship and fellowship with the Godhead. It goes beyond human reasoning that God satisfied with the blood sacrifice that his son Jesus made for the salvation of mankind. Let's go to verse 3 and we'll read verses 3 through 6. None of this we know now that we know. Let's try that again. 
Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. It's easy for the world to distinguish a believer from a non-believer in Jesus Christ. Aside from that inward heartfelt belief that Jesus is the Christ and all that he's done for our sins, having confessed that belief, it's really our lifestyle that gives us away. The question then to ask ourselves is, do we, or more, um, let's do this a little more personally, do I truly purpose to follow the commands of Christ? Do I want to lead a righteous life, a life like Jesus lived when he was on the earth? If our hearts are to please Christ in all that we do and say, our lifestyle will automatically give us away. And as was brought out in chapter 1, we will know a person by the fruit in their life. We can say we know Christ all we want, pretending to be religious, keeping all the laws. But if we haven't taken that first step and believing what Jesus has done for us, and are, uh, and but instead we're more concerned with following rules than showing love, mercy, and grace where it is needed, we simply are deceiving ourselves. Leading a righteous Christian life isn't something that we have to do. It's something that we want to do because we love Jesus and we know living a righteous life pleases our Lord. Jesus was very specific when he gave his instructions to love God above all else and then love our neighbor as ourself as Luke 10, 27 says. And then the Bible tells us that the world will know us by our love, John 13, 35. Again, it's our lifestyle that gives us our way, uh, gives us a way, and our heart and love, lifestyle will come together as one. On the other hand, there are some who claim to be believers in Christ, but they practice what is known as greasy grace, allowing carnal fleshly living to rule over their lives. And in reality, they don't live any different than those in the world. Uh, both are wrong. The religious and the one who um, is abusing grace both are wrong in the eyes of God because belief in righteous living go hand in hand. To those who keep the commands of the word of God, they demonstrate to the world that they love God and they love others. And as such, the world will spot a true believer because of his or her righteous living. Loving God and loving others will be demonstrated through their lives. Let's go to verse 7. Brethren, in other words, brothers and sisters, in the Lord, 
I write no new command to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which things is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Here the apostle is driving in the point that belief and actions do work together. And the Apostle James told us the same thing in James two seventeen through 18. In fact, let me read that to you. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So one without the other is dead and useless. You cannot have one without the other. The Apostle John does, however, point out uh, strongly an additional point. How we treat our brothers and sisters in the Lord is also indicative of our love for Christ and our love for righteous living. In other words, we are to love God with all our soul and strength and love others, especially those of the household of faith, as much as we love ourselves. So if we say that we are walking in the light of God, but hate or even dislike our brothers and sisters in the Lord, we're simply living in darkness. In other words, we are denying our faith in Jesus because we are commanded to love our brothers and sisters in the Lord. The reality is when we love God and his word, we love to be around other like-minded believers. Haven't you noticed that? We think and we act alike. The apostle puts it very strongly to say, we are living in darkness and are blind to the things of the Lord when we don't love our fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. So what about a personal application here? We all are going to struggle liking or loving other believers from time to time. Um, but the Bible does give us instructions on how to deal with such people. Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17 is one of them. Go to them. Work it out. Talk it out. But we are not necessarily commanded to like everyone in the body of Christ because we're dealing with personality differences, various conflicts, doc doctrinal differences, ungodly behavior, or for whatever reason, but we are commanded to love them as a person because they are a child of God. In the next few verses, um, verses 12, 13, and 14, uh, the Apostle John is talking about three different spiritual stages. Let me read them to you, starting with verse 12. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. That's basic Christianity. Verse 13. 
I write to you fathers because you have known him who was from the beginning. I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you little children because you have known the father. And I write to you fathers because you have known him who was from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. So in these three verses, the Apostle John is speaking to everyone in the church, but he's calling them all children. And there are some who have matured to young men, and then there are some who have matured to being fathers. Well, it is possible that these verses could refer to physical age, but I don't think so. I think it's more likely that the Apostle John is speaking of spiritual maturity. So the Apostle John, he is here to remind the churches that they are already know the basic truth. In verse 12, when he says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for uh, given you for his name's sake. That's basic Christianity. Okay, uh, let's see. And as young men, the word of God already abides in them, and they have already learned to overcome Satan and the wicked one. And then when he says, as fathers, they have known God for a very long time. Probably some of them, they even walked with Jesus, which was decades earlier. The apostle, he was commending and encouraging those in the church for what they had in Christ and their assurance of salvation. And in other words, he is also warning them about those who would de desire to deceive them, but he's telling them, be vigilant in the development of your faith. Now, in theory, the longer one who has been a believer, the more mature that they should be. But sadly, this is seldom the case. There are many fathers, meaning older believers, who are still babes in the faith. But because of failure to get to know and follow the word of God, they are still children spiritually. John's aim, however, is that they overcome the darkness of carnality, fleshly living, that they keep the commandments of God, and that they walk in the light of God's word. As such, they will receive fullness of joy, conquer hate, and love each other with a love so real that the world will see it and they will give glory to God. John's aim is that the believers will awaken with hope and courage to grab hold of the word of God and fight against the enemy that wants to keep them in carnal fleshly living and his purpose is to destroy them. Now, John knows that his letter is tough, but it is also filled with hope, the hope of living a victorious life in Christ, filled with love and purpose and life eternal with God forever. Okay, let's proceed on and go to verse, verses 15, 16, and 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. When the Apostle John refers to the world, he's referring to actually the evils of the world, this world system. This world and its system is controlled by Satan. The Apostle is always also referring to the lust of the flesh, meaning living out of our natural senses, our carnal nature, the lust of the eyes, meaning letting the passion of what we may see bring us into sin, and then the pride of life is thinking that we are above other people. Now, these evil behaviors are of the world, and they're not from the love of God. So the um, in another scripture verse, the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, 2, reminds us that we are not to be conformed to this world system or the patterns of this world. Instead, we are to be transformed by the word of God. So to reiterate what the Apostle John has spoken, to love the world and the things in it is not loving God. Again, Jesus tells us that to love God above all else, uh, we are to also love our neighbor as ourselves. And to love the world is contrary to what God's word is telling us. While the world will one day pass away and all the evils that go with it, those who do the will of God will live on victoriously forever. All right, let's go on to verse 18, and we're going to be talking about the deceptions in the last hour of which we are in today. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that this is the last hour. They went out from us, and they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest, be made manifest that none of them were of us. For the past 2,000 years, we have been in the last days, and as we draw closer to the final end, we are entering into the last hour, even we're close to the last minute or two before the end of this age is finalized. As such, there are many false teachers and more and more antichrists who have come and gone from this world to deceive us. They are continuously all around us and we're all sent from Satan. And as we draw to the end of the last age or last days, the one true Antichrist, he will appear. He will rule with vengeance to rule and overtake the hearts of men. That is coming shortly. Verse 20 and 21. But you, meaning you and me as believers, but you have the anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. 
I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. The Apostle John is reminding believers that each one of them have the anointing of the Holy Spirit living on the the inside of them to know truth. We have the Holy Spirit living in us, and the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead. He knows all things. And because he lives in you, because he lives in in me, each one of us are anointed. And he tells us exactly what we need to know. He will never lie to us. He will always give us the truth. So verse 22, who, who is a liar? But he who denies Jesus is the Christ. He is the Antichrist who denies Father and the Son. So anyone who denies that Jesus Christ is a liar. All this to say that to be a true believer in Jesus as the Christ, this above criteria, what I just read, must be in place. And to miss any part of that criteria denies one to be a believer. To take away even one point of Christianity, true Christianity, is not true belief in Jesus, therefore a cult. And there was a cult that was going on heavily within the church at this point. And docetism denied that Jesus came to earth in the flesh before his death Um, uh, and Uh, He was not of the flesh, and it, it was heresy. And so verse 23 says, Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son um, has the Father as well. Anyone who denies does not believe and confess that Jesus is the Son of God. In fact, the five criterias of of believing what true Christianity is, you must believe that Jesus is the Son of God, yet he is God. That Jesus died on the cross for your sins in the physical. He died in the flesh. And that God rose him from the dead. And that Jesus now sits at the right hand of the Father and to intercede for his body, who who are us, And then finally, Jesus is coming real soon to gather his believers unto himself. So in verse 23, again, it says, whoever denies the son does not have the father either. He who acknowledges the son has the father also. So anyone who who denies does not believe and confess Jesus, as as I just talked about, does not have God living within him or her because Jesus is God and they are one. And he who acknowledges Jesus also has the Father because the two are one. They are inseparable. John 10, 30 says, and these are Jesus' exact words, I and my Father are one. Verse 24, therefore, let that abide in you, which you have heard from from the beginning. 
if what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Father, or in the Son, and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us eternal life. So what the apostle is saying, hang on, hang on to the truth that has been given you, that which you have heard from the beginning, that which came from Christ. Keep those truths within you and then live for Christ. Our goal is the promise that God has given us eternal life with him. Verse 26 and verse 27. These things have I written to you concerning uh, those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But at the same but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. The Apostle John's message here has been a warning to believers so that they will not be deceived. The anointing of the Holy Spirit abides within the hearts of believers. And according to this, it says, you do not need anyone to teach you the things of God because the Holy Spirit is your teacher. But does that mean you should never listen to a preacher or teacher? No, of course not. We must always remember that anyone who preaches the word of God is simply speaking forth the oracles of God that come from scripture as inspired by the Holy Spirit. They are simply messengers of the truths of God's word, but that it is your responsibility to verify everything that is spoken out, claiming to be truth that comes from the word of God. You have the Holy Spirit in you. Let him tell you, and you have the, uh, the word of God to check it out. And the word of God and the Holy Spirit within you should confirm each other. Verse 28, and now little children abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. The Apostle Paul again speaks to them as children to live for Christ. For when Christ comes up at the rapture of the church, which is coming very soon, we as the bride of Christ may have confidence and not be ashamed before the Lord. I personally read this verse to say that we should keep Christ coming when he comes to rapture us home on the forefront of our minds and hearts. What a glorious day that will be. And as we do, it's a continuous incentive for us to live righteous lives before him. And then let's go into the last verse. But if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. So then because Christ is righteous and he dwells within the hearts of all believers, we know that those believers who practice righteousness is born of God living the life of God for all the world to see. Amen.